Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Doctors of Running Virtual Roundtable, where we, a group of doctors of physical therapy, discuss the art and the science to the stuff that we are putting on our feet. Today's episode is not sponsored by LaCroix. I am drinking a Raz Cranberry, and um, some of my favorite flavors are Hint of Hint of Lime and Strawberries Passing By on a Semi on the other side of the highway. Um, I also, have you heard those jokes before? No, I haven't. Where instead of just being like lime, it's like not even a hint of lime. It's a hint of hint of lime because there's like no flavor in LaCroix. Because you haven't heard, anyway. I also realized that I, I like the one that's called pure and it's basically just seltzer. And then I realized that that's because LaCroix doesn't really have a lot of flavor, but I do drink it. And also again, not a sponsor. Also a public service announcement to everybody I'm having Oreos today, um, just traditional. If you get Oreos, get double stuffed. You got to get double stuffed. Just public service announcement. All right. And I do, I just want to have one question for you guys. I know for us here, it's the changing of the seasons. I know it's in Wisconsin. I know for you guys in California, it's a little different. Um, we're at, eventually it'll start cooling down. But I wanted to hear your takes on what's kind of one of your favorite gear for fall, kind of getting to the colder weather. What's one thing you go to? What's one thing you grab? What you got, David? He's holding it up. Long, he's he's holding up a, a comfortable long sleeve. It's a nice, cozy long sleeve by Arc-Terex. Shout Don't out. ask me the model and make. I don't know. I've had this for a couple of years. <laughs> but it's solid it's a nice like it's thin enough to where i can run in it and it's warm enough to where i can stay warm in it it's kind of like the best of both worlds it's like I, i've done workouts in it when it's real cold here and yes it can get mm -hmm. cold in santa barbara uh, <laughs> there's been workouts where i've done long sleeve and full tights like it can get pretty cold like that moisture has a bite to it when it gets like in the 30s yeah uh in like the early morning you know before the sun rises and stuff but uh yeah no i like it it's good it's cozy the dimensions are pretty solid um and i can wear it up too i've worn it casually many times so cool what about you matt this this episode is not sponsored by arcterics but i give got to give him a shout out because i will give you the specific model i have several of the short sleeve and long sleeve with their skyline model which uh i've never bought full price i've always found this the on sale models but they're yes. so awesome. Like I'm wearing one right now. I have you, I use them for work and you can use them professionally, but then I've been able to like pull my tie off and then go for like a six, seven mile run without any issue. And I've done up to 15 miles in both they, the long and short sleeve versions. And it's been awesome. Are they all a collared shirt? Uh, yes. The skyline. Like yeah. So I, Just, I was uh, intentionally. A fun fact. Yeah. Fun fact for the viewers, Klein lives for performance collared shirts. Dude, I performance that's plaid, huge... anything like that. Yeah, You'll see that's... this guy running in collared shirts. Like that's the thing. That's been a huge 
search the last like six months is going, can I find dresser, like semi dressers or more like work attire stuff that I can also go run in. So rabbit has one, I forget what the name is, but I've only ever managed to get one and I can't find any more anymore. Cause I think they've sold out, but that's mm-hmm. a big priority. I want to be able to wear it to work, be professional and then be able to just not have to worry and just go for a run. Do you not stink? after like do you not stink i mean yeah but i go for a run after work oh got it oh so, so you, you work and then you go straight from work. yeah i go so that's the less i just have to take my pants off that's it i'm wearing running shorts underneath there let's, <laughs> let's be clear i i wear running shorts instead of underwear so i'm always ready that's probably oh, my goodness. you heard it here yeah but I'm, yeah i'm always ready to run off after uh, work all my classmates in, in pt school always knew that um that's hilarious but actually every, i did know that yeah, because people that knew that had mutual, you know, relationships where they knew me and knew you before yeah. I knew you, they were always like, "There's this dude who just always goes running." Yep. Like after, after these times, after classes, in between little breaks, like he just yep. goes and then he comes back. So I knew I knew of you before yep. I even knew you. I just knew wow. that you were stealing my Strava segments in Chino Hills. <laughs> No, so winter, winter, like fall running gear, um, long sleeves are really important. I have a really nice one from rabbit. I've got a couple over my time, have some Adidas pro, uh, long sleeves that are go-tos and are nice and bright. The other thing that's a really big go-to as it gets colder, which in Southern California takes a while. So we're probably not going to get cold weather till colder ish being relative until like December, January, but like half tights for me are really big. Um, especially with workouts because I, as much as I love my split shorts, when things are like in the like thirties or low forties and you're trying to warm up for a workout, it's, it's all, I'm all about the half tights. So half tights for sure. I tend to be half tights regardless. Those are not as fun when it's like super hot though half tights all right someone asked me the other day they were like half tights or shorts you know for the for the uniform and i was like half tights always hmm. <laughs> no I've hesitation worn half tights we'll you're missing get, out you're missing out wow. i will say though just not to make this segment any longer but uh, another long sleeve that works great for me is the rabbit super sleeve because you can have it on and it doesn't slip and then you can put a glove over it that's yeah. a nice combo to have when you're out running and it's cold. Because it has that thumb s- slot to it. That little thumb slot. That's why I was, yeah, that's what I was demoing right there. Yep. So, so that that's an actual like translation of something that's functional you can use in cold weather that I, I have used and have enjoyed. So Yeah. So for the one person that's actually dealing with cold weather, Nathan, what's your go-to? Well, I, I'm going to save some of the winter stuff because like, I mean, it gets dead cold here. Like I'm running in like negative 20 in the morning sometimes or negative 10, zero, like regularly, you know? And so I'll save some of that for later. I will give a quick shout out to the Mizuno uh, breathe thermo, breath thermo stuff. Um, it's been super effective um, for me when it, it, it uses some weird technology to like heat your sweat. So you're wet at the end, but you're warm. Um, but anyway... The, my favorite fall long sleeve is the rabbit um, easy tee. Mm. It's just so comfortable. Like I would wear that thing all fall long because it's just so soft. It's like, 
and, and never gets uncomfortable, no chafing, anything like that. And it gets dark here. Like I'll probably in the next month, I basically won't see sunlight when I go on my, at the times that I go on my runs really. So, um, the, that's that, uh, the easy tee long sleeve, um, I have like a reflective vest that I put over and it protects me from chafing from that really well. So that's a, that's another big deal. Cause I got, my vest is not like a fancy one, but it does the job. Um, I'm actually interested in Brooks, um, visible run, run visible, run visibly. I don't know how they market it, but they have a whole line of like really reflective gear. Um, it's just, I don't know if I'm going to pull the trigger on buying something like that. Cause I think they're pretty expensive. So I have my yeah. like $15 reflective vest and then a comfortable shirt underneath. That's, that's kind of how I roll, but yeah, there's a lot of, uh, fall gear. There's a lot of easy ways to get a hold of it. There's even, I feel like even at target Walmart, they're coming out with better quality, softer stuff that you don't have to break the bank on either, which is pretty cool. Totally. But we're going to transition into our big section for the night. Uh, we all have had the privilege of being sent a shoe that is coming out on September 28th, I believe is the launch date yeah. in the U.S. Um, it's the Endorphin Pro Plus, or as Matt likes to say, the Plus Pro. And so we got, the three of us have the shoe. We got it last week and we've all been able to put um, some decent miles on it. So this is not our full review, but this is coming off of like, I've, I've done a 17 miler. David's done a workout. Matt's done. What have you done in it, Matt? I've done a shakeout run and a full longer workout in it. Okay. So you've got like 11 to 13 miles. Yeah. David, you did how many in it? Yeah. Don't discredit my workout. My workout yeah. was over a half marathon. Both. Yeah, that's what. Oh, I didn't discredit. I was like, David. Yeah, yeah got... I was like, that was literally over thirteen miles. Yeah, starting with yeah. the shortest one first. I was trying to. I was. I credited you and me for getting lots of miles, and then Matt, which we never get to do more than Matt. Matt always does the most in the shoots. That's true. But I knew that you and I had been able to put some substantial work into them, and so we're gonna we're gonna talk about the shoe and kind of give our it's a it's a mini review today uh that we're going to go through and talk some details of what our first experiences have been like and then we're going to put together our full review after we get more testing i have a track workout i'm going to take it for on tuesday and i'm sure the rest of us will get some more miles i might run we'll get we'll get to that later so the big changes from this are coming from the upper. The tooling through the midsole is going to be the same and the shaping with the speed roll technology. That's all consistent with what we've seen in the Endorphin Pro, the original, the Endorphin Pro 2, and now with the Endorphin Pro Plus. The changes are in the upper again. And unlike the changes from the original Pro to the Pro 2, it drops over a half ounce. So this is coming in at 6.9 ounces compared to around seven and a half for the Pro 2. So that's a sub substantial drop. And so let's just talk about how that upper performed for you guys so far. What's the fit like? Compare it to the other two in terms of what it feels like and, and talk about some detailing of it that you appreciated or that you had problems with. I'll, I'll start where I was very interested as always someone who, to me, the heel can be either a, a make or break for a shoe in terms of, I can be very sensitive to heel counters. There, there's no heel counter here at all. So the, I think Nathan and Dave were expecting me to be like, oh, this is the greatest shoe ever. Uh, when I first put it on for a short shakeout run, I was doing some hill sprints in it. It didn't 
quite feel stable at first. And it, it took me a second to figure out that you just got to tie the laces down and then it's fine. So the upper for me fits like a slightly wider track spike. I mean, this upper is inspired by their endorphin spike series. So it's a, it just feels like a teeny bit more snug, but then there's more flexibility at the same time. Upper super light, much less, it's less structured. So really what I learned is make sure you tie it down. But once you tie it down like a track spike, it, it's really nice and locked in. So I love how light it is. And shout out to uppers. I feel like people don't talk about uppers enough. They're always like, hey, it's the carbon plate and the foam and the shoe. Like uppers are really important. It's what holds your foot there. So I think it's really great. That's my like quick thing. David, Nathan, what do you two think? Yeah, I mean, I feel pretty similarly. I never had any insecurity in the heel, um, but you, you just you just lace it down. It locks down like a wider track spike. That's probably the best way to put it. It's got a very performance-like feel to it. It's almost non-existent. I mean, like I brought it to the long run today. I, I didn't wear it for the long run, but... I, um, I showed it to my friend because I knew he'd love to see it. He's a shoe nerd just like us. And I brought the Endorphin Pro too as well. And he was like, dude, like, <laughs> like the upper. He's like, the, the upper. It's like, it's non-existent. Like, it's crazy how light this upper is. Mm-hmm. And, but it, just because it's light, it doesn't necessarily feel fragile either. Like, it feels like a nice upper. It's just like a nice lightweight breathable mesh upper and there is no heel counter one thing i will say though is when you take off there's a little fold in the in the upper here there is no heel counter but they have it like propped up a little bit by this little tiny little like i don't even know i think it's just the sock liner that holds it up right there and it just kind of comes anteriorly like towards the front at a little retro curve and this little flab you can feel it a little bit at first, but then once you get running, you kind of forget about it, but it feels kind of funny at first because it doesn't feel quite as, uh, I don't know, like a traditional shoe would. Whereas this one, it's nice and cozy. And like, this is, this fits very much like a normal shoe would fit in the heel. But besides that, it locks down well. The tongue is very, very thin and it's perforated with holes through it. Um, it's very, very light. There is a little bit of like a sidewall that's created by the sock liner there. It seems like they try to do a lot with the sock liner. Like they're trying to like, that's what kind of firms up and holds the structure of this upper. Outside of that, this thing is pretty seamless. Like it's pretty lightweight and kind of falls on its own. Yeah. So, yeah. I, oh, go ahead, Matt. I, I want to double up on the comment where like, despite how light it is, it doesn't feel fragile. It still feels like this is a solid upper, but it's, it's a solid material, but it just has taken so much weight off. It's interesting to look and see, oh, you know, there's a lot more you can do with, I don't know if you can say less material, but yeah, they did it. It's a good. So Nathan, yeah. you, you've taken this the longest of all of us. What Which do you is, think? This is a rare day, guys. Can, we, yeah. can I relish in this for a you little bit? You certainly can. You should take, ahead, you should enjoy this. Soak it in. I should just marathon train all the time and I might yeah. get a little bit more in. Um, no. Um, yeah, I've got a couple, I think I agree with you guys on a lot of it. Uh, a couple details for the, for the negative negative, isn't the right word. Things that I noticed things that I noticed one, there's not, it's not gusseted. The tongue isn't. So I had to be really careful to get it flattened on my foot when I would go in. Cause it, the edges like to fold underneath. 
And so when they fold under and then, so what I, what I had to do when I put it on would be loosen it all the way, put my foot in flat. So I had space to flatten it all out and then really lock it down. Um, and then the nice thing is the tongue didn't move an inch over 17 or a centimeter. An inch, it would be a long way. It didn't move, it didn't move at all. It stayed super, super secure for me on that first run, which is great. Um, you guys talked about that in the heel, David, the little kind of fold there. They have like the heel is made out of like a suede material, which, mm-hmm. and, and it has a little bit of a padding. If you can, if you look on, if you're on YouTube, um, you can see kind of this line that kind of traces around and it's almost like a pseudo diamond or hexagon type shape. And that just is a little bit of padding. It doesn't give structure to it, but it does give padding. And I think that that part was super important for keeping the heel secure because there's no counter at all. That positioning of it really helped it sit on top of the heel bone and lock it in. And then the suede interacts with the sock that I was wearing so that it didn't like move at all. Um, And then underneath of the, I think the other thing is underneath the tongue, it's also like a suede material, which I think helps just from like a keeping it secure standpoint. When I took it out, I I laced it down really tight and it felt really good. And then by mile like nine to 10, I realized my, my heel was kind of like moving a little bit. Um, and so I stopped at 12 and relaced it and then it felt phenomenal. I actually only relaced it on my right shoe and it acted totally different than my left. I felt like I could turn better. And I, I just felt really dialed in once I really laced it down. And I'm curious to see as I run more over everyone, does it loosen a little bit or did it just go through that loosening over the first one? Um, cause that would be interesting if it doesn't stay locked down after you kind of break in the upper, um, that would be something to consider. But what I'm hoping is that I, you know, got it going the first, like over those first couple miles, got it to its new stretch position and then locked it down. Cause it's not really stretchy. And like you guys said, it's robust. It's not like going to rip through in some ways. I almost feel like it looks more durable than the pro two, like toe box. Like, cause that one's made of these like slits and it's really thin and where you get the weight in the pro two is like the gusseted tongue and some of the detailing in the laces that reinforce the it counter. And the heel counter. Yeah. So I'm curious. I, I think it's super durable, um, compared to the pro and the pro two it's way, it's more locked down on like the late midfoot, which feels awesome for like putting some work in. I feel like it really is, feels like I'm ready to race when I put it on. And I didn't realize how open the toe box in the pro two felt, not the midfoot. It still locks you down really well, but the toe box itself has more volume above your foot compared to the pro plus the pro plus is way more locked down, but I had plenty of space for 17, no problem going the full marathon in it like that. I, I wasn't, I wouldn't be concerned and I had my marathon in two weeks and I was totally set on running in the pro two. And now I have like this internal debate of which one I'm going to run in. And, um, I think For what's once cool it's about not me, what's that? For once the internal debate as to which shoe will be raced in is not me. You're always the one you're so right. Um, I, and it's been fun though. Cause in the last month I've done 18 in the original pro I've done 20 and 20 or no, I did 20 in the original pro. 22 in the pro two and then 17 in here. So I've ran in all three and um, I've 
I definitely think for, for me, the upgrade from the one to the two really created heel security that I didn't know was really lacking in the first pro. And so I feel really locked in. And then this new one, I didn't realize how much more of a racer feel you can get from the pro two to the pro plus, because I think locking into the pro plus was like, oh, I could take this easy for a 10 K 5 K now, because I felt really dialed in. Whereas the pro two, I felt like this is nice because it's a smooth shoe that can go at my eight minute pace for the marathon and not feel like it's pushing me to go faster. And I still feel with that with the pro plus, but I feel like it's so dialed in that I could really push the pace more. So do you guys agree with that? Like that idea yeah, of performance? Completely. Totally. Don't do, yeah. for the viewers, do not underestimate uppers because that's one thing that has been for people that are more seasoned runners that have done it through high school, college, whatever. When, when you put on a track spike or a racing flat, and if you come from the olden days before all the super shoes, that was a huge part of competitive footwear was how does that shoe lock down? Can you get it down? And that performance feel that you're talking about, you put yeah. it on and you're like, I'm ready to go. Like, that's what you want. It locks it down, gets that foot on the platform. You feel like you're just like ready. There's no slippage, no nothing. Like you're, re you're ready to roll. And like, if an upper can do that for you, especially in a performance shoe, that's huge. Right. Because that not only has a direct impact on how you maneuver your own body, but psychologically too, you feel ready to roll. So, right. And I would say if it can do that without you having to like put on an upper that just smashes your foot in there, which many of us, especially high school, you know, maybe early college didn't know any better. So like, Oh, we need security. I don't want this to slip because I've gotten blisters. Like, I'm just going to shove my foot in here. And like, even though I'm black and blue at the end, at least it didn't come off my foot. Whereas <laughs> now like the quality of uppers, like, especially this is, is good enough. That it's like, even in a high stack shoe, I can turn in this and not feel any concern. And I did that. I was doing high speed turns in this and like forgot that I was wearing the, the pro plus right. like, after I did it. I'm like, wait, that should have been more unstable, but it wasn't. So uppers are again, especially with those races, if you're moving at faster speeds or when you're starting to fatigue and you start in those, there's turns in the course, like that can definitely cause some like ankle stuff, right? If you're fatigued and you, turn the wrong way but if you've got this thing locked on you're good usually it's it's red on red so you can't see it very well but in the olden days like see this is a traditional track spike this is the adidas avanti um before they updated all the foams and everything basic eva p backs plate the whole whatever tight lockdown through the midfoot uh a lot of people race track spikes barefoot and uh the lockdown was like almost too good for this. I have blood stains in both of these spikes. And that's what I was going to show. Cause you that's were saying you always put it, get putting spikes. your foot into a platform that it's like, you're kind of like forcing your foot into it. Don't buy white spikes. If you're going to wear sockless. That's hilarious. <laughs> or not hilarious. That sounds awful. It is awful. <laughs> and I'm so glad I never ran track. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, shout out Adidas Avanti. That's cool. But... Well, here's a question for you guys, you know, we have more runs to get in and I'm excited to take it on the track to kind of see a little bit more about this question, just from an experience standpoint, but you know, the, the pro and the pro two have a minimal heel counter. Like it's, it's present it's, but it's very soft and you can fold it all the way. Whereas the pro plus does not have a heel counter 
at all. If anyone has the um, Speed Elite from Skechers or the Speed Freak, it also does not have a heel counter. What What do we think about heel stability? People with like heel stability needs. How impactful can a heel counter be? Uh, that kind of thing. So, Matt, I know you've read some stuff on this, and um, but also from an experience standpoint, what do you guys think? Do you want the evidence first, or do you want to hear more? Let, David, let's, go first. David, I'll what go, do you think? I'll go first. Uh, okay. I don't have much of a research background on heel counters specifically, so I'm going off of anecdotal stuff here. I don't need that much security or of a sensation of something holding my heel there but some people do and that's one of the things i noticed when i put on the endorphin pro plus versus the endorphin pro 2 is it felt more like a performance fit it felt locked down i felt ready to roll <clears throat> but the heel didn't feel quite as secure or as quote-unquote comfortable or plush as say the endorphin pro 2 this felt a little bit nicer in terms of just like, oh, that's a nice upper on my foot. The, the pro that makes sense. Like just putting it on, like having absolutely nothing to do with racing or, or running, just step in feel, putting it on, lacing it down. This just feels nicer. It, the dimensions are a little bit more forgiving. It's not quite as geared. About. What's that? The pro two. You're the talking. pro two. Yeah. The pro two. Whereas this one, there was a tiny little bit where it's like, oh, I could see myself potentially moving a little bit. And obviously when you lock it down, it, it doesn't, but some people like that sensation of having it there. It gives them a little bit of feedback to that heel where they feel stable and they feel more confident and they don't feel like they're moving around. And if that's you, then go with this one because like this one is pretty minimal, like we were saying before. I personally do like the Pro Plus more than the Pro 2 in, from what I've done in it so far. But if, if the heel thing's a deal breaker for you, then, then just go to this one. It's only a half ounce heavier. It's not that big of a deal. Go with the Pro 2, you're saying, if you're the person with the... That yeah, and, and this is purely anecdotal, but it's, it's kind of going back to that comfort paradigm. If you don't feel comfortable with it on your foot, then chances are you're probably not going to do as well. Yeah. Now let's hear the evidence. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll give my anecdotal too before, before we get that. I think something that you talked about the word forgiving, and I think from a feeling standpoint, like the Pro 2 has never felt like, oh, I got to stop and lace it up tighter. I had the one instance, I think with the pro plus where I was like, I'm going to stop and lace it up because I'm feeling like my heat, my foot is starting to move. And once I lace it down, it didn't move at all. Not as like, not a, as I feel like you say skosh, right, David? Skosh? Skosh, not a skosh. So it didn't Just move a skosh, a skosh at all um, once I laced it down. But I think maybe, maybe something a heel counter might do is give you some forgiving nature of if your laces are a little bit looser where the foot won't skosh side to side. Um, where, whereas I felt like I needed to be laced in perfectly for the Pro Plus. All right, what's the evidence say? So again, talking about this from a, a clinical perspective, um, you know, heel counters were originally designed, I think for partially for um, st stability and securing the upper, but also for the longest time, it was thought, yes, this is a stability mechanism that it basically locks the calcaneus or the heel bone in. And so if you can lock the heel bone in, the rest of the foot should be stable. 
that's not quite how things necessarily work. It does seem to work for some people who like having that stiffer. Um, it's usually a plastic piece. There are some other companies that use different um, materials in there, but most commonly it's a stiff plastic material um, or cardboard material in the rear foot that goes around it. How far it goes around really depends on the shoe. Um, some of the ones I've actually really enjoyed have been the ones that actually come a little bit farther forward. Cause for me, that does seem to provide some stability, but some of the ones that are like just a little strip in the back, that's really just to give some structure to the back of the heel. That's not really going to provide stability. So how they, they're going to have different functions depending on how they're, how they're put in the shoe and how large they are. But a lot of them were most commonly talked about for stability of stabilizing the calcaneus. What we've seen from the research is actually the calcaneus is going to do its own thing in the shoe, regardless of how stiff the heel counter is. Um, mm -hmm. so again, it comes down to a comfort thing. There's plenty of people that go, I need to have a stiff heel counter because that locks me in. It makes me feel good. And there's other people who have, can have either a sensitivity in that area often. Sometimes it's called a Hagland deformity where you'll get a little pump bump where the, you'll get like a little Achilles, like apophysitis in that area. Things get irritated. You can have a little bursitis. Some people are sensitive. So for those people, having a stiff heel counter may not be a good idea because that might irritate it, but it, it really depends. It's going to come down to, I think, as David said, comfort, right? Do you want something stiff back there? Do you want something flexible? Generally, I like things a little bit more flexible, but that's because I have a Haglund deformity. It gets a little sensitive when it's getting rammed up against a stiff, like hard piece of plastic or cardboard, but everybody's going to be different. So there's really no wrong answer. I wouldn't necessarily look at it as the end all be all for stability because oftentimes the foot's going to do its own thing, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's not going to work for you. So if you feel like it locks you down better, that's fine. I think in the pro plus, I felt that initially, but the rest of the, again, you can't just focus on one part of the shoe. If you lock this upper down, it stays on your foot and it's done really well, even with be being flexible. And these guys were making fun of me because when I first put it on, I'm like, I don't know if this has enough heel stability. You're like, what? This is the guy that hates heel counters. I'm like, I don't hate heel counters, but I was, I was, <laughs> I was like, uh, what, what did I say? I was you like, said, Matt, oh, you, Matt, like, destroy Matt all heel counters. Yeah. Also, Matt, this shoe does not have enough heel security. <laughs> but as soon as I laced, I figured I had to lace it down better Then it was fine. <laughs> and so it's like the overall fit of this upper is very, very, very good. You just have to realize you cannot look at the upper just in one piece yeah. you have to look at how the whole thing is fitting is it is it adapting to each part of your foot right you can't just look at one part i so. think a big thing for the pro plus just to reiterate for me like i did not have any heel slippage in this when i when i laced it like mm -hmm. once i laced it right it was it was awesome like it, i i feel like in the pro original i have heel slippage regardless of how i lace in the pro two I can lace and not get slippage, but it might, it might move up and down just a little bit, but not side to side in the pro plus I get like none for me. Everybody wants to talk. David gets to go next. Okay. So I just want to say in the footwear world, there actually was a specific example of this. So, you know, how a lot of times with footwear, these companies will consult with their professionals and see what they like and what what, what works for them because they're the ones that ultimately are going to be running in this shoe as a piece of their marketing. And Skechers actually did this. So when you look at the development of the GoMeb Speed 6, 
one of the things he really wanted was that hard plastic heel counter. Yeah. When you look at the Speed Elite and the Razor Elite and when them going forward with Edward Cesarek, Cesarek didn't seem to like that as much. And I, I don't know them personally, so I don't know. I can't say what they like and what they don't like. But one of the things it said was Meb Kifleski liked having that heel counter. That's why the heel counter was there on the Speed 6. Speed Elite was designed more for Cesarek and there's no heel counter. And the design's a little bit different and it fits his mechanics similar to the Razor. So that's those are two the bloody heels athletes with completely different preferences. But what's that? I said I saw a lot of bloody heels in the Speed 6. There were plenty of bloody heels. Do I still have my bloody pair? You have your bloody pair. I but I, I don't like know if that. I have it anymore. I like that shoe a lot though. I do too. That's what my half marathon PR is in. Man, that I forgot that. That was yeah, a 108, yeah. right? Like a 108? Yeah. Dude, I forgot you ran it in that shoe. Yeah, I've got a 108 in the uh, Speed 6 and a 109 off of flight. So clearly the Speed 6 is the superior shoe. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You can't, so we can't make the uh, – how much faster would you, would you have ran if you were wearing the Alpha Fly? No, clearly not. There's no other factors that went into either of those two race days besides no nothing at no, all nothing at all. <laughs> my my only comment is I wasn't actually getting any heel slippage. It just didn't feel stable initially until I locked the upper down better. It's basically amazing that changing how I was lacing the, the or lacing this, I didn't I just lock it down a little more. Heel also locked my foot in better, so right. didn't have any slippage. Got it. Just side but to I, side a little bit is what I, I almost I re- felt like. I think I. I, I resonate with that feeling a little bit where I'm not sure where the difference, if there is for me, um, like a preference in terms of the, what it feels like the stability between the pro plus and the pro two. And that's why I'm excited to take, take them out more before I get like a full review out. Because I think one thing I was, wow, I just hit my mic. Sorry if that made a loud noise for everybody. Um, one thing that I think, will be a consideration for me when I choose my marathon shoe is if this one, if I'm noticing a little bit more needs for stability from like my peronials, cause my peronials get fired up sometimes. So if it needs it from the pro plus, I'm just going to go to the pro two. But if it seems like, Oh, that was just because you didn't lace them right. Then I'm going to go pro plus because it feels, it feels really fun to run in. Cause it locks you down. I just loved how it locked me down. It, it was awesome. It was awesome. Sockless running also really good in this. Oh, gross. I know. I mean, I did like a short two mile shakeout when I did some hill sprints in them and it felt really good, but that's the last time I've ever really wearing these sockless because I don't want to stink them up. Like I actually want to keep these. So. Awesome. Everyone Any other comments on the pro plus? Any other comments on the pro plus before you move on? Uh, just wishing all the Saucony athletes a solid day. They're going to have a event for the Endorphin Plus, and they're all going to go after a 10K PR. Some of them are going to do more of a long workout beyond that, and they're not focusing on the 10K per se, but the ones that are focusing on the 10K, Jared Ward, uh, I think Brian Schrader is going for it too. Um, good luck to all of you. If you listen to this, go crush it. Totally. That'd be pretty sweet if they listened to this. That would, that would be. actually. That'd be, yeah. that'd be awesome. Shout out uh, WCC. Jared Ward is from the WCC. Jared Ward, I reference your study that you were on all the time. Not the recent <laughs> one yet, but the the McClure. We're all just fanboys, you yeah. know. That's really what's going on here. Yep. 
All right, so we are going to dive into the Doctors of Running mailbag. Um, we have a series of questions here. We'll see what we can get through. Um, but these are questions that have been sent to us on our media, um, different outlets. And so we're thankful for you guys again, as always, to be kind of on this journey with us because our ultimate mission is to create content that is helpful to the running community. And so if we can be answering questions from the perspective of clinicians, because reminder, like what we do for 40 hours a week is that we work with people one-on-one -on -one in the clinic way outside of footwear. So, you know, most of our day is not spent in footwear. So this is just a fun side thing that we get to do, um, in working with all of these different companies and to help create good educational content for you guys. So thank you for being in the journey with it, with us, because it allows us to keep doing what we're doing. And, um, just a quick reminder, if, it does help us for you guys to review our podcast. And so if you could drop us a review, let us know what you think. Um, we take that feedback to make this better. And we are, you know, hopefully we're taking little ticks forward in terms of making it better to listen to. Um, we don't have the, we don't have high quality mics yet, but we're starting to get mics and things like that. And so that stuff's coming down the line, but in terms of content, um, just, continue to help us know what we can do to push this forward in ways that is more helpful to all of you. Um, and yeah, there's other ways to support, but we don't need to talk about that today. So the first question we're going to hit from the mailbag came through Instagram. It's from Jack Wagoner. Um, and he was asking a question. He says, do I need a pair of stability shoes and orthotics or do I just need orthotics? I have flat feet and I've been told that I pronate. So what do you guys think there? What kind of thoughts do you have for Jack? Obviously we, this, oh, I always, the premise can't substitute what we're saying for medical advice is just for educational purposes. Obviously for, for Jack, we're not gonna be able to give him a specific answer, but we can talk about these topics about well, what do we know about the interaction between stability shoes, orthotics, both, neither, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to jump in and say right off the bat that I encourage people not to use stability shoes and orthotics at the same time. You have two different mechanisms going on there you, and we don't know how they're going to interact. So I've seen plenty of people where it gives them too much and then other times where it does things not expected. So I encourage you to pick one or the other. If you need a specific orthotic, you should get a neutral shoe that will handle that orthotic well, not all shoes will. So the orthotic can do what it needs to without any other influence. If you realize you don't need an orthotic and you just want a stability shoe that already has that built in, go with that. Do not, I would encourage you not to do both only because we don't know what's going to happen. And there's a lot of unknown variables that could end up not working. So I would choose one or the other. If you do choose an orthotic, I would encourage you to, again, certain people do need them. Certain people have different kinds of deformities or genetic, you know, like developmental stuff that you might need one. But oftentimes if you can, it may be best for you to like use that orthotic as you need for the time being and then work out of it. Because remember, most of them are short-term in terms of benefit and you need to address whatever is causing that. So pronation is a normal part of shock absorption. You need to find out if that's just your normal mechanics because sometimes pronation is actually a compensation. Sometimes it's actually just part of your normal mechanics. And if you stop that, or if you try to reduce it, it may cause you more problems. There are certain people that are going to benefit from it, but you need to see somebody um, to determine whether or not you actually need one 
and whether or not your pronation is actually problematic or not because it's a normal motion. Yeah, I, I, I agree completely. There's not too much I can really add to that besides the fact that orthotics do change your relationship with the shoe. You quite literally change the shoe and the dynamics of the piece of footwear and the platform you're standing on with you and your biomechanics and what you're doing. With that said, if you're going to, whoa, you're bright, man. It's too bright. Sorry. Angelic almost. <laughs> there we go. But yeah, I, I, I can only repeat what, um, what Matt said. Uh, basically it's, you have two different dynamics going on. The stability shoe is designed to do something and the orthotics designed to do something. And now you're adding two different layers, both designed to do something on top of each other. And you're not really gonna know how that turns out, so. Yeah, I think I do have, I have one other thing, just a consideration just in general for people who have orthotics. Um, the, for, for many practitioners, um, podiatrists, physical therapists, other people who are creating or prescribing orthotics, the philosophy has changed quite a bit over the last 20 years or so. Um, and the, the general theme of what types of orthotics are prescribed has changed. And so in that realm, I work with a lot of people who they'll come in and, and they'll be looking for a new shoe recommendation. And they said, oh yeah, I forgot to tell you, I've been, I use this orthotic and I ask, oh, when did you get that? And they're like, oh, like 14 years ago. And so they've been using the same orthotic for 14 years. And I think the considerations there for those people that I give them is one, your foot may have very drastically changed in the last 14 years because our feet don't stay static through our whole lifespan, especially if you're a female and you've given birth and you've gone through that kind of change, like feet are going to change. Um, and, and that's a normal part. So an orthotic that was prescribed to you, again, we talked about how they're typically short-term benefit anyway, for, except for in certain circumstances. Um, your foot might not need that same thing that it, that it needed even five years ago. And so um, I think that would be a huge consideration is one, it might be quote outdated in terms of what's shown to actually be helpful. And two, it might not be what your foot needs anymore. And so if you're working with a physical therapist, which is the best way to do this is you can figure out what kind of shoe orthotic combination is going to work for you at that point. And can you ditch your orthotics? Because if you can work on a lot, it depends on what's going on. Obviously we can't say too much, but I think it's worth considering, do I even need the orthotic anymore? Or do I need to change my orthotic? Because what we know about orthotics has changed and certain kind of very rigid orthotics that used to be the mainstay have like gone up mostly out the window um, except in certain circumstances. So just those are things to consider as well, but I agree hundred percent with what Matt and DJ said. By the way, quick note for people that have been wearing orthotics for 14, the same pair for 14 years. Again, I'm not necessarily saying you don't need them, but if you are somebody who does need them, 14 years is way too long. They do not last forever and they wear out and break down. Once also they that. wear out and break down, they may cause you more problems than they may, may support you through. So please keep those up to date. How long they'll last will depend on the manufacturer and the manufacturing quality, but they do not last forever. They will break down. So you need to keep whoever the practitioner that you're working with. If you do need these permanently, you need to keep checking in with them going, are these still up to date? And, and that goes for prefabricated insoles yeah. as well. 
do not go buy a pair of super feet and just wear the same exact pair of super feet in three or four different pairs of running shoes over three or four years and just transfer it to the next shoe. <laughs> totally. Clinical experience, two shoes. If you're using those two shoes max and you need, and you need a new pair, the number of people that are like, oh, how long have you had those? Oh, I've had this like since high school. I'm like, you're 35. Like this needs <laughs> to like, no. They also smell horrible. So you really need a new pair. Like I was wondering what that smell was and I can't figure it out. Now I know. So you need to get new All ones. Right. If nothing oh else, but gosh. for the smell. I'm just kidding. Hilarious. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Okay, so our next question from the mailbag is coming from Byron on Instagram. He's asking, do higher drops unload the calf? or just the Achilles. So he's differentiating in his head, the calf gastroxyleus muscles from the Achilles tendon. Um, so he's, he's asking, do higher drops unload the calf or just the Achilles? I feel like higher drops put me on my forefoot and load my calves more. And just for, just to make sure we're all on the same page, drop refers to the difference between the amount of foam in terms of height in the heel to the forefoot. So if there's 35 millimeters of height of foam in the heel and 25 millimeters of foam in the forefoot, that's a 10 millimeter drop. Typically, typically a high drop is going to be 10 to 12 difference. Low drop is going to be four or less. Kind of that middle zone is six to eight. Um, if you had stilettos, those would be really high drop shoes. Um, those high heels, obviously that's an extreme example. So um, Matt, yeah. What do we know about Achilles and and calf loading with high drop shoes. So there's actually the the viewer they're asking two separate about two separate variables. So I'm going to address yeah, they're both asking of them. If, yeah. Are the structures differentiated? Is his yeah. main question. Right. And if so, so, how or not? Generally, for higher drop shoes, what that's going to do is it's going to elevate your heel and it's going to shorten your Achilles. So you don't have to go through as much range of motion through your gastrox, soleus, and Achilles complex to get over your foot. Generally for normal gates, I think usually they say, oh, you need at least, and not even for running, for walking too, you need at least like 20-ish degrees of dorsiflexion. That's where, again, your ankle mm -hmm. joint, it bends upwards. Um, you need that to bend at least 20 degrees for normal. Actually, I think it's like minimum is 10 degrees, but for normal, it's considered yeah. 20. For running, you sometimes need even more than that. Um, if you have a high drop shoe, you need less of that range of motion to get over that foot, um, specifically going through, um, the ankle rocker in that area. So, yeah, so usually it will unload that area only because it requires a little bit less motion to get through. Whereas if you have a low drop shoe, you're going to spend more time at end range of motion of like maximally lengthened calf, which either extreme, if you're maximally shortened or maximally lengthened, that puts a lot more pressure in that area. It just means you have to have that much strength at that range of motion. Muscles are length specific. If you train a muscle at one specific place, you're going to be really strong there, but you're going to be weak everywhere else. It's like 
the guys you see at the gym, they're doing the bicep curls and they're only doing that small range of motion. They're going to be strong, really, really strong there. But if you take them anywhere outside of that and then muscle test them, they're going to test weaker than you would expect just because of that. So muscle length specific now. So again, just reiterate a higher drop can unload the calves. If you are a four foot striker, that's going to put more load to the calf. And if you're someone that going into a higher drop shoe gets you up more on your toes, it is for you, not for everyone, for you, it's going to put more stress to the calf and Achilles because you're using that structure more. That's all it means. There is some interesting evidence, by the way, that having a higher drop or a lower drop shoe can also put more stress to the Achilles. So Achilles tendon can be irritated by overly stretch, stretching it or overly compressing it. So there's some early evidence that that can go either way, but generally higher drop unloads it, but it just depends on some of the mechanisms and how you're landing. So really hard heel striking sometimes can still compress the Achilles a little bit, but this is very dependent. So to answer the question fully, yes, higher drop usually unloads your calf muscles, but if you're going up on your forefoot, no, you're still going to be loading it. So for you, yeah, you're loading it more. Yeah, I just want to add too, because... I mean, we're, we're, we're dancing in theory, right? Yep. But if it's important to differentiate between joints and muscles as well. So yes, you have less ankle range of motion you have to move through. However, the gastrocnemius is indeed a two joint muscle. That changes things because anecdotally at the distal hamstrings, proximal gastroc up in that kind of posterior knee region, I have felt a little bit more tension sometimes from running in higher drop shoes and extremely low drop shoes, like how you were saying. That's anecdotal, but it's it can take some pressure off of that ankle and Achilles, but it's got to go somewhere and it's going to go up the chain. The gastroc isn't as simple as just a little calf at the very bottom of your leg. There's a lot more to it. Uh, again, it, in, in most people, yes, but it, it's going to unload it. it but it, for, for other people, for, not for everyone, for some people, it might actually load it a little bit more and maybe it'll load it in a different region. So I think yeah. the other, I, I think that's a good point. And I think um, the other place to consider maybe for w what some people experience if they run in higher drop, a lot of this is going to be dependent on how you run as well. Like what are your mechanics and what type of motion do you go through? Because if we, I want to, hopefully this makes sense, but let's take it to an extreme example of saying that running on a high drop shoe, let's just make it way higher, like 40 millimeter drop or something like running down a hill. Okay. So if you're running down a hill, there's going to be a couple things that change that we know. If anyone's ran down a hill, you know, your quads get trashed, right? Like your, your quads are working to help with that deceleration. So the other thing that happens when you're running downhill, or if your tibia is going forward at a faster rate, um, if your tibia is going forward, one of the muscles that controls that motion of your tibia is your soleus because it holds the ankle secure as it's moving forward. And that's kind of hard to picture if you haven't spent time thinking about biomechanics and stuff. But reality is, is that that as your tibia is moving forward, when you're walking, something that controls that and contracts eccentrically is your soleus. And so it's slowing that rate so that your knee doesn't just fall to the ground. So your quad is holding it from above, your soleus is holding it from below. 
in preventing your knee from collapsing. And so if you're run, if you're running in, in a certain mechanical way where you get into a higher drop shoe, that's not obviously 40 millimeters, but like 12 millimeters, and that's bringing your tibia forward more, your soleus might have to hold on tighter to prevent some of the translation forward of the tibia. And so I think that could be something else to consider, but I, I do think by and large for myself and for a lot of the patients that I work with, if they're having Achilles issues, particularly distal Achilles, like insertional, it keeps them out of places that put compression stress through like a stretching mechanism, like a shoe that's going to be zero drop might have a little bit more stretch through the Achilles, especially like where it's attaching into the heel bone than something that's higher drop. So yes, in general, it should actually offload the calf and the Achilles, but for some in certain circumstances, you might see the opposite. And that's where obviously if you're having ongoing problems, that's where you got to see an ortho PT who works with runners who can help you decipher what's going on. And obviously it's more than just shoes, but how can you use the right shoes in your scenario? It's not going to be a one size fits all. Surprise, surprise. So So as always, the answer is it depends, but yeah, right. The worst answer ever, but it's the right answer a lot of times. It is. Yeah. Sorry so, to make your uh, quest for the answer more muddy. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so if anybody has any feedback for me on which shoes I should wear in my mar- for my marathon in two weeks, it'd be greatly appreciated. I've had stress dreams about it. Just kidding. I have not. What, what, what top are you wearing? It's like a maroon top. So actually they both work because... I mean, these are just clean. The Pro Plus is so clean. Yeah, just go with the Pro Plus, man. Like that white on silver on black is so clean. Like imagine rolling up to the starting line wearing that. I feel more confident in the Pro 2 because I did 22 in them. It was totally fine. Wear the Pro 2. But I like these more, you know. (laughs) Wear one on each foot. Problem solved. the uh the nice thing for my kit that i'm thinking about wearing see these little straps yeah yeah the maroon matches yeah it's the exact same color as my actually it's this is what i'm basically wearing except it's a it's a singlet not a t-shirt and then my the hat that i'm gonna wear it has a maroon thing on it too so oh the cle one you have right yep that's the one i i love that i wear that hat for every single run that i go on but shout out hoka hats those performance hats are actually really nice Oh, cool. If you don't have one, they're solid. Awesome. Well, we're going to wrap things up for the night. Um, We had one more question in the mailbag, but we're out of time. We'll get to it next time. Uh, I'm looking at you, Michael Lancaster. So um, thanks for submitting your question. If you want to reach out to us and follow along with what we're doing, you can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We have a Strava group so you could see what kind of runs we're up to. We're We're writing our testing updates on there a little bit. Um, as long as we're allowed to from like an embargo standpoint, but we enjoyed talking today about the pro plus kind of the changes of an upper talking about heel counters and then diving into some of your questions. Um, and again, if you are willing writing a review for this podcast really helps us grow the podcast and, uh, it also gives us your feedback. So we appreciate you all and we'll see you next time.